see everybody. It's good for us to be here, to be able to be together. And I pray what we'll talk about will help us think, help me. I have thought about this subject on and off for just comes up every now and then. Uh, and when I was studying Philippians to, to teach and we went through it, I thought, it's time. Time for me to do it. It's, it's not that big a deal. But um, In Genesis chapter 6, and don't worry, I'm not going to teach Genesis chapter 6, just, just a cursory mention of a few things. We have before the flood, and we see how God felt about mankind and the wickedness that was in the world, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, man. Uh, you think of that, that the heart was only evil. There was nothing apparently good there. Um, and so the Lord it's, expresses in Genesis 6 was sorry that he had made man. He was grieved in his heart. And he decided, I'm going to destroy man whom I've created. He's going to destroy man and beast and every animal that walks on the earth, every beast, every animal that creeps on the ground, every bird that flies in the air that breathes oxygen like we do, they're going to die. Again, he says, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But it mentions that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so he tells Noah to build an ark. And um, for a hundred years, he, he built this ark. You think about that. He built the ark. And in Genesis chapter 8, in verses 18 and 19, it says, so, so they're in the ark for about a year during the rain and all the, the time the water subsided, the water was uh, over the tallest peak in the world. But in verse 18 and 19, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and uh, his wife and his sons, wives with them. Every animal, every creeping thing, every beast and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. So all the animals that he had saved in the ark, brought into the ark, they were uh, let go, uh, and I can just imagine staying in a enclosed place for a year with all the animals and all that. So they're 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 let free. And it says in verse twenty and twenty one. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and of every and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imaginations of man's heart is, is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So Noah gets out of the ark and thankful as he is that he is alive and his family, he offers a burnt offering and says the Lord smelled a soothing aroma and the Lord said I'm, I won't 
I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to kill every living creature again. I won't do it. He'll do it at the end. So I want us to talk about that the idea of the soothing aroma um, that comes up quite often. So the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And I just want us to look at a few things about that for a few minutes. And after this, Evan is going to uh, fill it out a little bit more because there's not enough time to do everything that's, that should be done about it. So we'll just begin by looking at the idea of the soothing aroma. And when we think about it, uh, this is God having the smelling, the smelling the soothing aroma from the sacrifice expresses really that God had favor toward the sacrifice, the pleasure toward the sacrifice, and pleasure to the one who offered the sacrifice. And the 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 word would be the the Hebrew word would be a, a, would express the whole burnt offering. And uh, it was a total surrender, really, of the life of the person that's offering it to God. He recognizes that um, God had blessed his family, Noah did, and his sons and their wives, all eight of them. And so that soothing aroma coming up to the Lord shows that God was pleased with the sacrifice. And Noah knew that God had saved him. He made provision for him to not die. And he followed through uh, with not killing him in the flood. God's wrath is turned away. The soothing aroma. It, it soothed, it assuaged the anger that he had and grieved in his heart that he had made man. And so his anger is turned away, and so he's not angry anymore after that. And then after the sacrifice and the soothing aroma comes up, then we have the rainbow that God said, I, I won't, we won't have a flood anymore. And when we see that, we know that promise, that there won't be a flood it won't happen like that again. The end's coming, but it won't be that way. So, in looking at the sacrifices, we, under the old law, where we get the terminology for the soothing aroma and the, or the pleasing aroma or the sweet aroma to the Lord, the idea is all the same. In Numbers chapter 28, uh, God gave him a law in um and told them what everything to do, it, all these things. In Numbers 28, verses 2 and 24, uh, we find out that the sacrifices were to be at appointed times for these animal sacrifices. And uh, at Passover, for instance, they had daily sacrifices for seven days during this feast period. At the Feast of Tabernacles in Numbers 29, we find out that they're, they're going to offer one bull, one ram, seven lambs without blemish. So there's, we see two things there. They're offering different kinds of animals, but these animals are to be of the best. They're to be without blemish. No defect in them. 
And on the Day of Atonement, we find out that a bull is offered for the high priest and his family for their sins. And then after that, a goat is offered for the high priest offers the goat for the sins of the people of Israel in Leviticus 16, verses 11 and 15. So there's all kinds of different sacrifices. That's just a few of them, but there's, there's quite a few more. But that's just an example of what would happen. The problem is, is this became, these offering these sacrifices became uh, tiresome to them. And the problem turns into the fact that they were not soothing to the Lord. They didn't do what they were supposed to do because the heart wasn't right. Now, if you will, turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. We're going to look at a few of these things. Malachi chapter 1, we want to read verses... 6 through 14. <clears throat> a, son, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to to us. While this is being done by your hand, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in them, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my, uh, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weary, weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So they were offering uh, not the best of of their animals for the sacrifices. And it's become wearisome to them. And so the heart's not right. And so when those sacrifices were offered up, it didn't please the Lord. He, he didn't get that pleasing aroma, that soothing aroma. And he says there, you wasted your sacrifices, basically. You're wrong. You're wrong in offering these sacrifices this way. 
Turn with me also to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 27 through 32. Ezekiel 27, or Ezekiel 20, verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord, In this too your fathers have blasphemed me by by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I had raised my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees, there they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings. There they also sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. Thus I said to them, What is this high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore says the Lord of the uh, therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing a harlotry among their according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with your, all your idols even to this day. So shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. When you what you have in your mind shall never be. When you say we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in other countries serving wood and stone. So there having their sons pass through the fire, they're offering their children sacrifices to the Lord. And they're offering them in the wrong places at that. Uh, Even if it was a good sacrifice, it's in the wrong place. So they were just, they were not soothing and not pleasing to the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, says, Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people, for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. One of the jobs, one of the things that the prophets were supposed to do is pray for the people. The Lord said, don't pray for these people. Don't pray. I don't hear them. When they offer their burnt offerings, I'll not accept them, but I'm going to consume them with the sword and with famine and by pestilence. He's had enough. Those, the things that they were doing were not pleasing to the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 22 through 24, he says, Nor, and just to break it all down, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. So they're, they're just wrong. And the prophet's responsibility was to bring them back to the Lord. And thus, you have all of these admonitions and and explaining to them what's wrong because their sacrifices are wrong. It's wearisome and whatever else it might be. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He wants things done right. He wants right people. The sacrifices will take care of themselves. If the people aren't right, the sacrifices are are no good. What he wants is mercy and the knowledge of God. 
mercy. He wants loyalty, faithfulness, steadfast love. The, the mercy and the knowledge together, that's what he wants of all of us. Uh, we, would, we, we ought to want that ourselves because we would know that that's what would be pleasing to the Lord. And if we leave off things in service to the Lord that they did under the old law, guess what? He's not going to be pleasing with us. That soothing aroma uh, of our lives won't be happening. In Hosea chapter 6 in verse 4, the second part of the verse, it says, For your faithfulness is like the morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. You've seen the mist that's over the ground sometime in the mornings. I like it. And the dew that's in the grass. What happens to it? Sun comes up, burns that away. It's just gone. It just evaporates. He says, your faithfulness is like that cloud, that morning cloud that's hanging, hovering over the ground. He says, that's, that's how you are. It's like the dew on the grass. It wets your feet early in the morning, but you go out later and it's gone. That's your faithfulness. That's your faithfulness. It's not soothing to the Lord. If that's the way we are, if that's our faithfulness, we're not pleasing. If it's fleeting, we're not pleasing. If it's not even there, we certainly aren't pleasing him. But this kind of language overflows into the Old Testament. I, and I, I like the beauty of, of the, some of the things that are written in the, under the old law. And the, the soothing aroma, the idea behind that is um, one of those things that I like personally. And the Lord's pleased with the soothing aroma. But turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. We studied these a few weeks ago and just want to look at it again. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, it says, For even in, even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So this is the verse, these are the verses that I decided, okay, it's time to, at least for me to, to at least talk about this for just a few minutes. Um, so they, Paul has been in a number of places, and the brethren at Philippi have helped him. They have sent gifts of financial aid or whatever else to him to help him get through the, the hard times. And here he is in Philippians 4, he's uh, in Philippians, uh, he's in a Roman prison in Rome, literally. And he's been there a couple of years or quite a while. He, he's spent four years or more continuously in a prison, either in Caesarea or Rome. So he's been there quite a while, and he needs some help. And they give the help. And he says, 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That they would receive something good from the Lord because they had helped Paul. Indeed, I have all in in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma. Can you can't get any better than that? That the help they offered is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a soothing aroma to the Lord, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing. He's gone out of his way to let us know that the things we do to help each other as brothers and sisters in Christ are well-pleasing to the Lord or a soothing aroma, as it were, or an acceptable sacrifice that we can give to help our brothers. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Again, that Old Testament language carried on over into the New Testament again. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. He uses an example. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us. And that sacrifice of Jesus was an offering or is an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. There is no better sacrifice than that one. That that one you and I needed. Not just the Ephesian brethren. And not just the brethren in Philippi. And not just the brethren in Judea. But all of us for the rest of eternity need Jesus' sacrifice. A sweet smelling aroma. In Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. You're familiar with these. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Pleading with them, begging them, if you will, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy sacrifice. And the sacrifice is acceptable to God. So this is a different kind of sacrifice, isn't it? So let's look for a couple of minutes at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, just for a few minutes. A living sacrifice. I think we see some equivalence to the old law. Here, a living sacrifice, uh, th- this is different, though, than the sacrifice of an animal that was, that was killed. We are to be a living sacrifice, that our lives, sacrificially, we are alive for Christ. We are alive for the Lord. That it's also holy. In this living sacrifice, this holy, this holy sacrifice, 
we will not allow ourselves to get involved in the things of sin in this world if we're going to be holy. That we won't be contaminated with the stain of sin in our lives if we're living a holy life. If we're living a a sacrificial life that's holy and that pleases the Lord. The Old Testament sacrifices were to be without physical defect. You didn't offer a lamb that had a broken leg. You didn't do that or had a blemish in its flesh. You didn't offer those kind of sacrifices. It wasn't uh, blind in one eye. That was not a sacrificial lamb. That was not, that's not good enough. You don't offer those kinds of sacrifices. In the same way, we don't live with the defilements of sin and still be a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice. We, it cannot, cannot be that way. That I have to live my life in a way that pleases the Lord. And that's why we have Scripture to inform us of the things that he's acceptable of. And we have the principles of what he's not accepted of. That our life, our sacrificial life, a holy life, would be acceptable to God. There's the, there's the soothing aroma of that life. It's acceptable to God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, I want us to read this and Uh, Just look at some things in this. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So let's just look at these five verses right here. Just I'm going to underline some things on them that would be good for us to think about. When we were still without strength, when there's nothing we can do about our condition, here we are, sinning our lives, and there's nothing we can do. We're helpless. We are without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for those of us without strength. That's all of us. We couldn't do anything about it. God took care of the situation. He didn't have to die for a righteous man. But for a good man, some would even dare to die. So what God has done is demonstrated his own love toward us. He showed us that he loved us. He made it known to us how much he loved us. 
in that while we were still sinners, his only begotten son died for us. Gave his life for us. Took away our sins. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we are not guiltless, but we can be sinless through Christ. He makes us just. That's a that's a that's a law term. You're you've been cleared. Cleared by his blood. Made righteous in God's eyes. All this is happening at one time. The snap of a finger. Saved from wrath through him. Saved from wrath. When Noah got off the ark, offered the sacrifices, the some of the animals of, of the clean uh, the clean animals, offered those sacrifices. God says, I won't destroy man that way anymore. He smelled the soothing aroma. The wrath, this wrath was gone. It's over. He did what he said he was going to do, and now it was over. And Noah is so thankful for his life after the flood that he offers his sacrifice. It pleases the Lord. The Lord says, I won't destroy a man like that again. We're saved from that kind of wrath of death forever and ever in the burning fire. Now, that's pretty hard wrath. That's called death. Although, if we're there, we're going to be conscious. I hope none of us are there. But we'll be conscious of that fire, of the wrath that he has and that will never be gone from us if we go go into the uh, go to hell. We'll, it, that, that, that anger of his will always be there and always be punishment and we'll be in a place that's where, where we die but the dying is never accomplished. It's the process of dying we'll always be going through. That's my idea. That dying process I'll be going, that's my idea. But I think it's pretty right. He's, the punishment will always be there. The wrath will never be assuaged against those who decided we don't want to serve the Lord. Or we turn back. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his Son. Enemies, enemies of God, reconciled through God uh, to God through the death of His Son. That we we've been now brought back to the Lord. He didn't change. We have to change. We changed. I want you to turn there. Turn to Romans five. Romans five.
because I want us to read the first 11 verses. The first 11 verses of Romans 5. And we'll, it, we will, of course, reading the 11 verses, we're going to read 6 through 10 again. But uh, I think you'll see something. I hope you see something in here. Uh, just look for in him, by him, through him, and all that kind of stuff. Romans 5, verse 1, beginning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope and the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in, while, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, we were, if, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Two times he mentions this, the, the reconciliation. So let's look at Jesus' role in our lives through what, by what he's done. Let's just look at the, 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 the 11 verses again. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That the, the anger is gone. We have peace with God. That's a good thing. We have access by uh, faith into grace through him. Through Jesus. We understand it says Christ died for the ungodly. Look what he did for us. He died for all of us mentions also he in the next verse or two he died for us we're justified by by his blood we talked about that already as well we're saved from wrath through him all this jesus did for us it's all through jesus we are reconciled to him through the death of his son it says we shall have access we shall be saved by his life. I'm sorry. We shall be saved by his life. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we're, we're without. We're with hopeless. Nothing happened without Christ, really. Through whom we now have received reconciliation. If you look at all that, look at what Christ has done for us. In those 11 verses, there's 10 things right there. So, Jesus offered himself as the perfect and only sacrifice that was necessary. One sacrifice for all time, for all people. That's you, and you, and Sandra, and me, and John, and it's all of us. He died for us, for all. 
he died for those people way back. And if we, if there's if there's a future, that he died for those people too. In Hebrews chapter ten, verses eleven and twelve, and every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The high priest and those other priests stood working, offering sacrifices. Repeatedly, it says, the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. They had to offer them, though, because that was how the Lord set it up until his son came. But this man, Jesus after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God. He didn't stand any longer. He didn't have to offer any more sacrifices. He sat down. He rested, if you will. He's through. He's done what he said he would do. He's going to come back. And those who are righteous will meet him in the air. The dead and the living. If you have not put on Christ in baptism... You don't have anything to look forward to, if I might say. It ain't going to be good to have your sins washed away. If you have and you need the prayers of the saints, why don't you come while we stand, while we sing.